Amen. And now Danny's going to come and bring our sermon, and let's give it up for Danny. <laughs> Good morning, church. Whoa. I wasn't ready for that. Let, let, me, let me start with an apology. I am I'm battling a head cold, so I'm not sure between, between the head cold or the medication that I'm taking to try to clear my sinuses and whatnot, my brain's only at 50%. But I believe that the Holy Spirit can come and fill me today because what, I, what I've prepared for this morning is something that is near and dear to my heart. It's something that I believe is not only has been a, a, a enormously central to uh, my growth in, in the Lord, but I think it's something that will be very, very practical for all of us. So let's go ahead and pray and uh, encourage you to pray for me or else this could be a little fussy today. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, I, I ask that you give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Allow me just to uh, impart to, to the folks here today those things that you've been writing on my heart, those things that I've been attempting to apply to my life. Lord, allow us to capture your heart and your mind this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me uh, just set the scene. We finished last week, as you remember, we finished our series on Healthy Church. And starting this morning, we're going to start a four-week series leading up to Easter. And these first two weeks, today and next week, we're going to just be preaching on a couple of passages that are at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, right before the triumphant entry. Then we'll celebrate Palm Sunday when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And of course, we'll celebrate Easter together. But let me, let me set the scene for today's passage, for the story we'll be looking at, by, by sharing a little bit about my background. And that is to say that when I was small, when I was a little kid, I was extremely timid, very shy. I, I never would want to take risks. I, I didn't like being around strangers. I was a very cautious kid. And I, I remember even when I was real small, two years old, three years old, and my mother or my father or my grandfather would give me a, a bath, I would make sure they would get me out of the tub before they pulled the plug out because I was absolutely sure that if they pulled the plug and I was still there, I would have been right down with the water going down the drain. You laugh, but I was very small for my age, so it, you know, it, was, it, was, it could have happened. But the, the point being is that I just didn't want to take chances, and one of the big difficulties in my life when I was young was, was school phobia. Especially when I started kindergarten, I just was not keen on going to school, period. And the, I, I, I only lived about two or three blocks from where our school was, but there's no way that I was going to do what all my friends and neighbor kids did, which was walk to school by myself, so I insisted that my mother walked me to school every day, and she began and you know, cooperated and walked me to school, but I think after a while she began to worry that you know, I was gonna be like a junior and a senior and she'd be walking me to school, so she began to try to wean me of this, this process of having to walk me to school every day. And what, what she did is you know, she said, Danny, you really need to learn to go to school and walk there on your own, 
Uh, and I said, you know, no way. No, I want you walking with me. And so she began to wean me by walking behind me. And she said, Danny, I want you to walk ahead of me. I'll be about 10 steps behind you. I'll be there. I'll watch you. But I want you to learn to walk without that conscious awareness of my presence. And over a period of seven or eight years, no, over a period of, <laughs> of uh, probably, I don't know, a number of days, weeks, uh, I, I began to get used to walking to school with, without my mother, I'm glad to say. The, um, now, it, it was scary because, you know, I'd go to school, it was early in the morning, it was still dark out, it was, you know, I felt alone, I felt vulnerable, it, it wasn't a nice feeling, but eventually through this process that my mother initiated, I for lack of a better way of, of stating it, I, I became friends with the darkness. I got used to and relatively comfortable with going to school when it was, when it was dark out. Now, this principle of becoming friends with the darkness, of getting used to walking in those times, at those times when, when, th when we feel particularly vulnerable, is central to the Christian life. It is absolutely essential in the, if we're going to follow Jesus because in this world, if you haven't noticed already, let me be the first to let you know, in this world, much of our experience is walking in the darkness, walking, walking in the fog, dealing with, with times in our lives when we can't see any light at the end of the tunnel, when we don't understand what's happening or why circumstances as they are whether and I know here even in the room this morning there are individuals here who are who are dealing with cancer there are people and and other illnesses there are people here this morning who are dealing with with relational breakdowns and fractures there are people here this morning who are going through financial difficult times there are people here who have gone through loss of loved ones and and uh, confronting and dealing with various fears. So it's, it's inevitable for every one of us that at frequent times in our lives, we are walking through the darkness, we're, we're making our way through the fog of life, which is simply just the residue of living, living in, the, in, in a fallen, broken world. The world isn't as it was intended to be. The world isn't what Christ intended it to be. That's why he came, to not only restore, not, restore us to the, the pre-fall reality, but he's also wanting to, to help us to not have to live under the circumstances so continually, but to help us to be lifted up above the circumstances. So the ability to learn how to walk in the darkness, how to make our way and find our way uh, in the midst of, of a, a vulnerable time in, in so many of our lives so frequently is, is absolutely essential. But the difference, and this is so key, this is, this is the, you, you can leave right now after I say this because this, this is the conclusion that we'll be building upon, the difference between what my mother taught me and what Jesus wants to teach us is this. My mother helped me to learn to walk in the reality of her absence. 
to become comfortable regardless of the fact that she wasn't there. Jesus, on the other hand, as we'll see today, wants to teach us to find him and, and recognize that he is there in those dark and vulnerable times. You understand the difference? Yeah. Jesus is not asking us to get, to get used to him being far, far away or not there at all. He's wanting us to come to a place as followers of, of, of Christ, as, as his disciples, to come to a place where we learn to find him in the darkness, to draw near to him at those times, to recognize his presence. And so foundational is this lesson in, for, for God's children that it is the most frequently, frequent lesson that he taught his disciples. And we'll see that today, that over and over and over and over again, he brings his disciples into times where things seem so dark, where, thing, where we feel so vulnerable, where clarity is so far away, where we're walking through the fog, we're walking through the mist, where we can't see the, the end of the tunnel or any light at the end of the tunnel other than what we assume is just a train coming in our direction. He wants us to understand how we can find him in that dark and difficult time, and that is consistently a lesson that he was teaching his disciples. Now, it's interesting. <clears throat> I feel like I'm going through menopause, or not menopause, through... Uh, <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long morning. What is it? Four teenage boys. <laughs> Help me. What? Oh, yeah, going through puberty. My voice is cracking. Oh, my gosh. We can erase that one. Okay. I feel like <laughs> my voice is changing. Okay. Calm down, relax, reel it back in. So, the last words that Jesus spoke, the last words that Jesus said to his disciples, and this is familiar, in fact, I, I talked about it just a few... <laughs> Stop it. I talked about it a few, day, uh, a few weeks ago. The, he, he gathered his disciples together right before, literally the last thing before he ascended into heaven. You remember he gathered him to, uh, the disciples together. He said, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize these disciples uh, in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you guys to teach them. He's telling the 12, I want you to teach these disciples that you're gathering to obey everything that I've taught you to do and, and commanded you to do. And then the last, literally, the last words that Jesus spoke on this earth when he was physically here were these words. He said, and surely I am with you most of the time. Right? He said, and surely you can count on the fact that I am with you on first, second, and third Thursday nights and Sunday mornings. No. He said, I am with you always. He wanted his disciples to understand I am with you always. I'm not wanting you to mature to the place where you can go through life 
without my presence. I'm not trying to get you to a place where you don't need me, except in crisis times. I'm not trying to get you to a place where you can learn to lean on your own abilities and, and the support of others so you don't have to lean on me, so you don't have to depend on me. He is wanting them to understand, I am with you always, and the key to the Christian life is not us learning how to mature beyond that, uh, that, that role and that place of a child, dependent on our father, dependent on our parents, dependent on, on, on God. He wants us to remain as children, understanding that we are going to walk through darkness and the only way that we're going to live a, a, a Christian life that is victorious, the only way that we're going to live a Christian life that is fruitful, the only way that we're going to live a Christian life that makes sense is if we learn how to find Jesus in the darkness. Now, and incidentally, the, the song that we ended with this morning it was wonderful. You know, Horatio Spafford, who, who wrote that song, It Is Well With My Soul, was writing that song as he was confronting the death of his wife and his daughters who died at sea. And he was on his way back from the United States to England. And the captain of the ship said, Mr. Spafford, here, Pastor Spafford, this is where, where, your, where your family had, had been lost at sea. And contemplating the loss of his family, he went down to his room and wrote that song, It is well with my soul. And why was it well with his soul in the midst of that enormous loss? Because he was able to find Christ in the midst of that darkness and have the assurance that Christ was with him and that his family was with Christ. So in this fallen world, we are going to have difficulties. And Jesus wants us to not just remember as a, as a theological truth that he is always with us. He's not wanting us to simply acknowledge that he's with us in, a, in some general sense because he's present in the world. But he wants us to understand and he wants us to experience that ability to find him relationally, personally, in those moments of darkness, in those difficult times. And today we're going to look at a passage, we're going to just sort of relatively quickly work through a passage that is just so, like so many others in Jesus' life with the disciples, it's a passage that points to this, this attempt of Jesus to help his disciples know and experience and count on his presence and why they can count on his, on his presence. So if you have your Bibles with you, once you turn to John chapter 11, if you forgot to bring them today, uh, we'll have the, the verses on the screen. In John chapter 11, this is one of the last, actually, uh, we know this is one of the last things that occurred before Jesus entered into, the, uh, into Jerusalem uh, and entered the darkness of, of Passion Week, the last week of his life. But in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, Now a man named Lazarus, who was sick, uh, was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, if Jesus had a best friend, and I don't say this jokingly, it's true. If Jesus had a best friend, it would have clearly been Lazarus. We know virtually every time when you read through the Gospels, nearly every time that Jesus was entering into Jerusalem or leaving Jerusalem, he would stop in Bethany just a few miles outside of Jerusalem and, and spend some time with Lazarus and his two, I assume, younger sisters, Martha and Mary. They were, they were his friends. And Lazarus, was, even his sisters referred to Lazarus as the one who you loved. Jesus had a great affection for Lazarus. And now you're familiar, of, I'm sure, of, of how this, this story ends. Lazarus does die. Lazarus, you know, then get, is resurrected. Lazarus is called out of the tomb. And as I was reading this passage a few, uh, over the last few weeks, I was thinking, well, you know, he was your best friend, Jesus, so it's not a surprise that you would have done what you did for Lazarus and with Lazarus. You know, the, that this was immensely personal, that, that Lazarus was, was sick. It was immensely personal to you, G Jesus, that, that Lazarus has died. And no sooner did that thought leave my mind that I felt like the Lord said to me, Danny, everything that happens to, uh, to those who I've created is immensely personal. Everything is immensely personal. We make an enormous mistake and we are, we are thinking contrary to the biblical truth when we think that our life is too small, our life is too insignificant, there's too much going on in this world that what is happening in our life, as big or as small as it may seem in the, the scheme of, of, of things here on this earth, we make a mistake thinking that is, it is any less personal to God. And this is why in one of the first sermons that Jesus taught, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that Jesus said is that there is not even a, a sparrow that falls from the sky that Jesus isn't fully aware of. There's not a hair on your head that Jesus is not aware of. He has every hair on your head numbered. He has every, every, every bird that dies and falls from the sky. He is aware of it. And every situation that you're going through, be it financial, be it sickness, be it loss, be it uh, a fractured relationship, whatever, whatever situation you're dealing with, whatever situation you're going through, it is personal to Jesus. And we make a mistake if we read passages like this and think, well, this was, was personal to Jesus because he loved Lazarus, and my situations are somewhat removed. Not so. Not so at all. So he, his sisters send word to him, said, Jesus, Lazarus, your, your best friend, he's sick. And their assumption is that he would come quickly. Verse 4 and when he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness is not, will not end in death, 
No, it is for, the for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, does that make any sense at all? His best friend is sick. Martha and Mary send word, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Essentially what they're saying is come quickly. Jesus hears this. He says, now he's not, this isn't going to be resulting in ultimate death. This is, this is occurring so that God can be glorified. The word glorified means to be, to be lifted up. The word glorified glorify literally means to give evidence. In this case, evidence of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of God's grace. He says this sickness isn't going to end up in, in ultimate death. This sickness is going to demonstrate the goodness and the faithfulness and the love and the mercy of God. And then he says, guys, we're not going to go right away. We're going to stay here for two extra days, two more days before we, before we respond to this need. Have you ever been in a situation where, Jesus, you just don't understand the, the need here? You know, you, you don't understand timing. Your timing stinks. Jesus, you don't understand that there is no money in my account to pay for this car repair. Jesus, you don't understand that, that this relationship is spiraling downhill and it's not getting any better and time is only making it worse. Jesus, you don't understand that my illness, my friend's illness, my loved one's illness is just getting worse and worse. You need to act and you need to act now. Do you ever think that Jesus' timing stinks? I do. But what Jesus does, he does in order for us to learn a valuable lesson. And the lesson is that he is there and that he cares. And we're going to see how that plays out. So he stays in the in, in uh, where he is for two extra days. And then in verse, we'll skip a little bit here just because of time this morning. In John chapter 11, verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. But now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. And, and we don't know this for sure, but my hunch is Mary, she was torn. You know, she was, she was sad over the loss of her, her big brother. She was somewhat angry that how, how could Jesus have waited so long to come? So she wasn't about to go out and see Jesus. Martha goes out to see him. And in verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I, I, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
You know, Martha, is, I, I really love Martha because we see in Martha this, this tug of war that I see in myself so frequently. There's this, this earthbound notion that, God, you don't understand. You could have done something, but you didn't. But then there's this other side of faith that says, but I know you still are able to work. Do you see that tension within yourself? Jesus, I know you're at work, but Jesus, it doesn't seem like you're at work. Jesus, you say you are near, but Jesus, I can't see your activity in my life dealing with this situation. We see this tug of war within our lives, and that is the reality of life in the darkness. That's the reality of life in the fog, and that is why Jesus so desperately wanted his disciples to learn how to see him in the darkness, to see his activity, to find him in the darkness. Verse 28, skipping down again, it says, After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha had such, as we do, have such earthbound vision. All they could see was what darkness was before them, that their brother had died, and certainly if Jesus had come quickly, that could have been prevented. They had seen Jesus open blind eyes. They had seen Jesus you know, heal leprosy. They had seen Jesus move miraculously. But he missed his opportunity. He blew it. You know, the reality is this. We need to recognize that when we are looking at our life, when we're looking at the circumstances that we wrestle with, the darkness that we find ourselves in, it, it, it is like looking into the, the keyhole of a, of a large mansion. And when we look through the keyhole in the front door, you know, we, we can see a certain amount behind that door. But there is far more that we can't, can't see than we can see. We can get a glimpse of what's beyond, but only a small portion. And that's the reality of our life here and now in this world. We can't see with the perspective that God has. And for that reason, Jesus says, it's not that you need more information to deal with the darkness. You need me. You need me to deal with the darkness that we walk through, whether it's sickness, whether it's illness, whether it's concern for our children or concern for our parents or concern for our marriages, concern for our finances. It's not information that will bring comfort. It's Jesus that brings comfort. He is the Prince of Peace. Information is not the Prince of Peace. We may think, well, if I would only know the end of the story, Things would be fine. Well, folks, we do know the end of the story. Read the book. But things still aren't fine when we're in the darkness, are they? 
Because in the darkness, it's not knowing what the end of the story will say. It's, where it's knowing Jesus and being able to be lifted above the circumstances in the moment so that he can be the one that takes us and carries us and brings us a peace that goes beyond the circumstances. Goes on, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had, uh, who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus began to weep. Jesus knew he was going to be raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, clearly he knew that because he already said that the sickness isn't going to be unto death. And he wasn't talking about the eventual resurrection of the dead. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why would Jesus weep? And it's not just this word that's translated weep doesn't mean just this little tear that just rolled down his cheek. It literally means to cry uncontrollably. He was just blubbering. He was, you know, he was crying. He was so connected, not to the loss of Lazarus, because he knew he was about to resurrect him. He was weeping because of his heart of empathy. Now, empathy is different than sympathy. Sympathy just feels sorry for somebody else who's going through a hard time. Empathy means to feel what they feel. We have a God in heaven who empathizes in our situation, who understands, not just in a cognitive way, but understands what we're going through and shares that heart, shares that loss, shares that burden. And Jesus was weeping uncontrollably because he sees and he, he was observing the effect of living in such a broken, fractured world. There are times where, where when, when my children were growing up and they were going through a hard time and there may have been a situation in, when they were small children that was relatively minor, but it was so upsetting to them it wasn't as if I could just stand by and, and have, have no concern because as minor as it is in the scheme of their lives, I recognized the anguish that it was causing in the moment and, you, and I felt for them. Whether it was not being chosen for on, on a certain team or being rejected by, by a little friend next door. I, could, I knew what it felt like and there was empathy. And Jesus empathizes. Jesus understands. Jesus doesn't just look from afar, but he sees what we're going through. And Jesus draws near so that we could find him in those moments. So Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Again, when we are in those difficult times, it's so difficult to figure out what on earth Jesus is doing. Literally. 
But it, when we go through those times, as many of you may be going through right now, those times where there's areas of darkness, areas of, of where, where life is pressing down on you, Jesus wants us to find him and see him and draw near to him in the darkness. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. That just seems bizarre, but, you know, he, she's concerned, oh, Jesus, I don't know what you're thinking about, but, whew, you roll that stone back. It's, it's not going to be a pretty sight or a, a, a sweet smell. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. We could paraphrase that by saying, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see evidence of God, of my faithfulness, evidence of God's goodness, evidence of God's mercy, evidence that God is able to draw near. And that is what Jesus wants us to learn. That's that fundamental lesson I was referring to earlier, that in these dark times that we will experience, at those times especially, we can see evidence of God's grace. And, and I know just from living life, I've been with so many people when they have been on their deathbed. I've been with so many people when they've, in the most difficult times of their lives. And one of the things that I've come to recognize is that it's often, for many of those people, depending on how they deal with the crisis, for many of them, those are the times where the presence of God, where the peace of God, where the, the, the provision of God is most tangible, is most real. I, I know in my life, and, and I hate to say this out loud because I think Jesus might be listening and, and, and he'll know that I'm on to him. I know in my life at the most difficult, dark times, it's those times that I can look back on that my growth in relationship with Jesus, that my, my growth in understanding and experiencing and taking hold of, of his love, getting to know him, building that relationship with him, it's in the most difficult and dark times that I have grown most in knowing Jesus. H have any of you found that? When, when things are going just fine, I'm happy. But unfortunately, oftentimes, I'm just sort of like, I'm good, God. Catch you later. But when I face the darkness, that's oftentimes, it, it thrusts me to find that, that path to his presence.
Well, we, we know how this, this story ends. Jesus goes to the tomb. He, they roll back the stone and he says, Lazarus, come out. And this, this body of Lazarus, with both of his legs wrapped, arms wrapped, comes out of the tomb. And they see the glory of Jesus. And, and you can imagine in that moment, I mean, Mary felt ecstatic and Martha was celebrating and the Jews were amazed and, and happy and, and the, only, the only bummed person in the, in the, on the scene was Lazarus. It's like, I was in heaven. What did you do? But Jesus wanted for them to see and understand the darkness doesn't push away the presence of God, but it's in the darkness that you can find my provision, that you can find my, my peace. Here's, here's a statement to hold on to. The place of our greatest vulnerability is the place of the greatest revelation of God's glory and His provision. When we are most vulnerable, we can most clearly see and, and, and have a revelation of His glory, his, the evidence of His goodness, and it's when we're most vulnerable that we can have the clearest revelation of his provision. And we see that over and over and over again in the scriptures. We see it in the Old Testament with, with David. When David was being chased through the wilderness by those who wanted to kill him, those who wanted his throne... One of the things that David wrote in, in Psalm 23, a familiar psalm, is even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though David was at the most Bleak, at the darkest time of his life, he feared no evil because the presence of God was with him. We see Jesus at one point getting his disciples into a boat. They set off on, on the Sea of Galilee. They get halfway through the Sea of Galilee. A great storm comes up. The disciples are running around Peter's bailing as fast as he can. Jesus is, is taking a nap in the front of the boat. They're just, they're, they're just going crazy. And finally they wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care that we're about to perish? And I'm sure Jesus was thinking, don't I care? Do you know how I, I set this up? that, I, that I, I, I purposefully spoke for a long time on the shore just so we could make sure that we'd be in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm. And they say, are thinking, I hate when this happens. And Jesus is thinking, I love when this happens. Because in their time of the greatest vulnerability, it revealed his passion and compassion 
for them and their lives. And Jesus gets up in the boat, turns to the waves and turns to the storm and says, hush. And it was all quiet. And whereas we try to escape the dark times, we try to find a way around them, find a way, you know, to avoid them. I mean, and no one wants them, no one likes them. But we need to recognize that it's in those dark times that God shows his love and his power in the greatest way. And there have been times in my life where frequently, too frequently in my opinion, where I, I'm just overcome because my, my thorn in the, in the flesh is, is anxiety. And there are times in my life where, whether it's when, when my son developed a Crohn's disease or, or, or times where, where, there was, where there were just great difficulties that I was dealing with, that I've had to learn, Jesus, how do I find you? I wake up in the middle of the night. You, some of you know what this is like. And your, your mind is racing and you're trying to, 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 to get beyond the anxiety, to get beyond the concern, be it financial or relational or whatever. And I've had to, I've had to learn, how do I find Jesus in the midst of this situation, in the midst of this, this grief that I'm going through, in the midst of this loss, in the midst of this fear? There's a, there, I have, a, have a, 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 a playlist on my iPhone of songs. Included in those songs is the one we sang. You know, It Is Well With My Soul by Horatio Spafford. And, and other songs that help me to get my eyes, to pry my eyes off the circumstances so I can find Jesus in the midst of it. There are times where Penny will wake up in the middle of the night and she'll hear me listen, listening to my playlist of, uh, I think there's 11 or 12 songs. And she'll say, you're stressed? Uh-huh. But it, inevitably, when I find Jesus, it's not as if the circumstances change. But I find Christ in the midst of the circumstances. And he's the Prince of Peace. It's not figuring out, how can I get control over this? How can I fix this? I'm the dad. I'm the husband. I'm the pastor. And I'm going to fix this problem. Peace comes when we make our way to the Prince of Peace. Because the peace of Christ is the residue of the presence of Christ. When, my, when I was a kid, my, my grandfather, who was just a, a tremendous security to me and my brothers, he wore some, a certain kind of cologne. And even when I'd go into a room where he was, because he wore a lot of it, and I could smell the, the residue of my grandfather's cologne, there was just like, even now, when I walk through a mall, walk through a place, and I, can, and I smell it, is there, there's this, this memory of, oh, I just feel this, this rest. Because it reminds me of my, of my grandfather. And we need to come and find Jesus because the residue of his presence is his peace. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let Him know what you need. And the peace of God, which transcends 
all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, make your request known with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, and God will change the circumstance, remove you from the situation. He says, make your request known, and the one thing you can be guaranteed is the peace of God, which goes beyond the circumstances, will guard your heart. So how do we increase our night vision? Let me end with this quickly. We, just three simple things to consider, to apply. First of all, if you want to increase in your ability to find Jesus and become friends in the darkness, in spite of the darkness, the, the first thing is remember his faithfulness. David frequently in the Psalms, if you look at, at a, a number of his Psalms, Psalm 78, Psalm 105, 106, Psalm 135, 136, these are called the remembrance Psalms. And, and David would say, God, you were the one that led us out of Egypt. God, you were the one that parted the Red Sea. You were there for us in the wilderness. You were there for us in the promised land. He would begin to remind himself of God's faithfulness. We need to, to remember God's faithfulness, take note of God's faithfulness so every time we find ourselves in difficult situations, we don't have to start from scratch and say, now who is God and what's his nature? We can remind ourselves of his faithfulness. Number two, we need to embrace the darkness, not try to avoid it, not try to, to sublimate. By that I mean not try to, to find some way to, to bury how we feel. You know, it's, I'm stressed, I'm going to eat. I'm stressed, I'm going to get you know, super busy. I'm stressed and I'm going to, to go shopping. Rather than avoiding the darkness or, or trying to distract ourselves from the darkness, we need to embrace the darkness because it is in the darkness, in those moments of vulnerability, that we can find the presence of God. And we need to find Christ at those times. And finally, what we need to do is we need to learn to practice the presence of God. We need to learn and build up those, those faith muscles within us so that it becomes natural to be able to find Jesus when it's dark. That we, we, we beat a, a well-worn path into his presence that we become familiar with, with how we can find Jesus and quiet our spirit, take our eyes off the circumstances and lift our eyes so we can see him and bear the fruit of peace in the midst of the darkness. Amen? Amen. Stand up. Okay. One of the things that I was thinking about yesterday and then actually Bonnie shared this morning something very similar that I, I really believe confirmed one of the things that I want to do this morning is many of us have been conditioned by life and life circumstances to assume that our Heavenly Father won't be there because of earthly fathers who weren't there, who weren't faithful, because of, of earthly fathers who, who never blessed and spoke words of, of peace into our lives, our, our emotional knee-jerk reaction to difficulty, our, our emotional knee-jerk expectation in the middle of difficulties is I'm on my own. 
And, and God wants to break that pattern. For some of you, it may not have been your father. It may have been pastors. It may have been, been husbands. But I, I believe many people have been, rather than being launched into life with, with a blessing that leaves an expectation that God the Father is faithful, that God the Father loves us, we weren't launched into life. We just tripped into life, and we're still trying to sort of feel our, our way around. And, and here's what I, I feel God wants to do this morning. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, where there's, this, the, where there's no expectation that God will be there. There's no expectation that, the, the, that God is faithful. But there's just simply an expectation that I'm on my own who've never been launched into life with a, with a Father's blessing. I want to invite you forward right now. You know who I'm talking about, and, and you can just line up. If it's one of you, that's fine. If it's every one of you, just line up right across the front. Because what I want to do this morning is I want to release a Father's blessing on individuals. And there's, there's something in... The Scriptures talk about it constantly. There's something about... We blessing someone that we've lost sight of. We think it's just a nice little thing you do after a person sneezes. But there is power in the, a blessing. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And I believe that there's going to be something released in individuals who have never received that blessing and who are living under the, in the absence of it who are going to have things broken today. So feel free to come up, and I'm just going to come and just release a Father's blessing on each person that comes forward and, and just anoint you with oil. The oil just simply is a, a symbol of the Holy Spirit that brings the power of that blessing into your life. So just line up right across the front. Michael, is it possible that we could sing It Is Well With My Soul? <laughs> for those of you who don't come to the front think about every single word you're about to sing Carol, right when now in Jesus name I just release a father's blessing on you I release you, Carol, into life, that you can embrace life with the expectation that your Heavenly Father is there for you. Your Heavenly Father sees you. Your Heavenly Father is available. Receive the Father's blessing. Bless you right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come and release a Father's blessing right now. I just bless you as a man. I bless you as one who can walk in life with a God who desires to walk with you. Dana, right now in Jesus' name, I release a Father's blessing on you. I bless who you are. I bless your heart, your mind, your soul. I release you to walk in life full solid. I bless you. As a father would bless a son, I bless you right now in Jesus' name. Jesus' name.
As a father with a blessed daughter, I bless you right now. Come, Lord, and fill her. As a husband should bless a wife, I bless you in Jesus' name. And I release you to be who Jesus calls you to be. No longer walking, feeling like there's something missing inside, something that is, is absent. I bless you right now. I release the Holy Spirit on you that you be filled. I bless you in Jesus' name. Bless you right now in Jesus' name. As a, as a father would bless a daughter, I bless you. As a husband would bless a wife, I bless you. Go and walk in the blessings. And I ask forgiveness for the for the hurt and for the pain and for the words spoken to you about you and over you. And I break the power of the words. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As a father would bless a daughter, as a husband would bless a wife, I break the power of absence, break the power of condemnation, and I release you to know and to feel the love of the Father. I bless you as a father would bless a daughter. Walk in my love. bless you right now in Jesus' name. As a father would bless a son, I bless you and I release you to walk in the blessing of the Father. I bless who you are in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. I bless who you are. I thank Jesus for who you are. I bless you as a dad would bless a son. I bless you. I bless the man that you are, the man that you've been designed to be. And come, Holy Spirit, and fill him with the Father's blessings. Fill him up in Jesus' name. Right now, in Jesus' name, I bless you. And as a father would bless a daughter, as a husband should bless a wife, I bless you to be who Jesus has called you to be. I bless the woman that you are, the woman that you've been designed to be. And I thank Jesus for you. I thank Jesus for who you are, for your mind and for your spirit. I bless you and I release you to step out into life with that Father's blessing. bless you right now in Jesus' name. And as a father would bless a daughter, I bless you. And I break the power of words that have been spoken over you. And I release you to be that, that woman that you designed to be. That you could be free to walk with liberty and no more fear. In Jesus' name. Bless you right now with the Father's blessing. And as a father would bless a daughter, I bless you and I release you to walk with a conscious awareness of his pleasure, of his affection, 
as a husband ought to bless a wife, I bless you. And I break the power of words that have been spoken over you by men in your life. I break their power and I release you to walk in the new freedom with joy. I just bless you right now. And as a father would bless a daughter, I bless you. Father, in Jesus' name, we just want to walk in, in the profound residue of your presence. Come and, and issue your peace. And Lord, walk us into your presence in the darkness. Allow us not to, to run from the darkness, but to find you in the darkness. It's our desire, Lord, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, to fear no evil because we have found you because you are with us. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to, to sign up for the equip class.